Oh, why, hello there. And welcome back to another episode of What's With You, Scooby Doo. Josh McCloud joins me on the podcast to talk about a very fun episode of Pup Named Scooby Doo. Every time I revisit the show, I'm always excited. I don't know. There's something about it, and, and it may be the nostalgia factor just because of when it hit me as a, as a kid, but I always enjoy that broad style of animation, and I love how it kind of takes everything in a new direction, how it creates its own language of gags. It's just a lot of fun. It's a great show. Josh is, of course, a great guest who brings a plethora of knowledge. In addition, we have a lot of fun talking about absolutely everything else, including but not limited to Mystery Science Theater 3000. Sports talk? (laughs) Seems weird for me, but it happens. Uh, Some anime and, you know, a smattering of other things. But overall, a lot of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Listen right here, right now, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash what's with you Scooby Doo, as well as you can email the podcast what's with you Scooby Doo at gmail.com, all one word, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at WWY Scooby Doo. In addition, if you are interested in swag, you can find WWYSD swag. If you go to the webpage, let's do this.com or what's with you scooby-doo.com and click the merch tab that will bring you to our merch page. Baseball tees, phone cases, it's all there. Get into it. If you happen to enjoy this podcast, may I just suggest heading on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, iTunes, Google Play wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts and leaving a review five stars preferable anything else whatever man (laughs) or whoa man uh depending on uh whatever listen that's enough of this jibber jabber josh mcleod pup named scooby-doo it's a whole lot of fun so once again to the podcast Let's do this. Uh, well, I guess we'll give it a shot. Well, I mean, who are ghosts going to haunt? Are they going to haunt the, you know, Kick Assertons or the Lutz family? They're probably going <laughs> to haunt the Lutzes. What's with you, Scooby Doo? Today on the podcast, through the miracle of the internet, I have Josh Making Time McLeod. Fucking loves my sport. <laughs> and cherry and cheese is my tort. Uh, <laughs> right? A tort's a pastry. I'm not wrong. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I've ever even seen one. I assume it's like toasted. There's I have no a, idea. There's a whole genre of food that I have never uh, personally experienced, but know only of from the Redwall books. Not familiar with them at all. Ooh, uh, it's a it's a series of uh, anthropomorphic animals in sort of like a 
not really magical, but like more medieval, mystical uh, forest setting uh, with a healthy dose of uh, sublimated Christianity that's never explicit. <laughs> it's like they, they're like in an abbey, but it's like strangely non-denominational abbey. <laughs> So it's the uh, the the Rainbow Coalition Abbey, not yeah. like the gay rainbow, but I mean like the all inclusive rainbow. Right. Yeah. It's like Jesse Jackson's rainbow. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> uh, but a, a huge part of those books were uh, feasts would happen frequently, and uh, there would be like a bunch of food that seemed real, but I just never like I, I've never actually had like a cordial. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I know that that thing exists somewhere. Well, I wrote on my Facebook, like, I, I'm 25, I remember the quote, I wrote, I'm 27 years old and I still have no clue what the hell pralines are. <laughs> I honestly so- don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've, my instinct is to say it's a nut, but I think it's a cookie. Yeah. I have no idea. And I, part of me doesn't want to know. Yeah, you just want to live with that mystery? Kind of, yeah. It makes life more fun. I agree. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously not like a giant robot that like terrorizes mushrooms, but like, you know, anything aside from that. Yeah. Uh, So, of course, we usually start off with a little history lesson, a little getting to know you, but you have been on the podcast frequently. So we do, of course, ask the question, uh, how's your Scooby life been since you last been on? I haven't watched much Scooby-Doo lately other than getting ready for the, uh, what is it, the 13th Ghost movie? Yeah. The Curse of the 13th Ghost. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that. Like, I, I haven't really been looking forward to any of the Scooby-Doo movies, but I'm like, I kind of want to see what this is going to be. Yeah? What, the, like, top three elements you're excited for? Uh, Flim Flam, kind of getting a backstory on Flim Flam. Like what getting, he's been up to? <laughs> yeah, what he's been up to. I don't think we ever get, like, a real story of who this kid is. He's just, like, some kid they found, if yeah. I'm remembering correctly. It's been a long time. It's been a and while. I, I, well, because I watched the first episode, it's on like you can watch it for free on Boomerang. Oh, really? Yeah, like you can watch like uh, Boomerang that app that we talked about last time. I think I was on that's like you got to pay thirty nine ninety nine in order to get it for right. a year. But apparently, like the first episode of a bunch of shows are like free to watch. Hmm. So you can actually like watch the first episode of that free online. And my first thought watching it is, when did Shaggy get a pilot's license? <laughs> There's a lot of things that. <clears throat> they sort of gloss over so quickly in that show. Like, there's a lot of stuff that has to do with, like, Vincent Van Gogh's powers, where sometimes he has them and sometimes he doesn't. Like, sometimes he's all-powerful, and sometimes he's like, oh, that's the one thing I can't do. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, Doctor Who's sonic screwdriver. Yeah. I'm hoping they give us some explanation of why it's Daphne Shaggy. Scooby and Scrappy mm-hmm. alone. Because I think I said this to you when I was on. It's like, who was in the focus group that picked those four? <laughs> like, I honestly don't know. Like, how did they come up with that that con- that consensus of those four? Yeah. Like, and, and the amount of, like, signing off on things. Like, you know, there's, there's presumably uh, somewhere in the ballpark of one to, uh, five dudes in a room being like, well, what about, well, what about, yeah, but how about this? And then someone actually has to be like this one. (laughs) Well, I've heard that like Joe Barbera, maybe you, maybe someone told you this, that Joe, I may have heard this on either your podcast or, um, 
the uh, a podcast named Scooby Doo is like Joe Barbera would literally come into the room and say, "Okay, I just sold this idea. You guys got to write it now." <laughs> Which, uh, by all accounts, the man sounds ridiculous. <laughs> well, I, I think I told you this. I wanted to say this on the record, but did you ever listen to the uh, archive of American Television interview he did with Leonard Maltin? Uh, I started it. I have yet to finish okay. it. I, my so, my ADD is horrible. <laughs> Okay, with those interviews is like they're supposed to be about like the history of this person saying like how they got into the business and like all the great things they did. Mm. And Joe Barbera, like, you know, he starts out that way, but he ditches that crap like five minutes in and he starts pitching ideas to the interviewer. <laughs> like, here's my idea for a Scooby movie. Yeah. They go to a music festival and actual zombies pop out. <laughs> I think I'm going to sell it. Like, Okay. Like, he clearly didn't give a crap about his legacy. He's just trying to sell stuff. That's what I love about him. And what I love about Hanna-Barbera in general, like, it never seems to be... Nothing's taken too precious when it comes to Hanna-Barbera. Yeah. Everything's just like, look, we need to make a cartoon. It's Saturday morning. We have 10 minutes. What are we doing? (laughs) And I'm also curious, because my friend, uh, my other friend, Josh, who's no relation to me, uh... He says, like, oh, it looks like crap. So I can't wait to hear him bitch about this, if we're being honest. <laughs> it's the new movie. Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I I don't know when I turned this corner. But at some point, I kind of I, – I used to be, like, more stuffy about things. Like, uh, uh, you know, especially when I was in high school, like, I was that dickhead who was into jazz. <laughs> Right. And so any music that wasn't jazz, I was just like, well, I mean, you know, it's not jazz. Uh, oh, uh, pop music. It's it's so simplistic. It's just four chords. Like, who cares, man? Like, blah, blah, blah. Let's listen to jazz. But then at some point, like, I just turned a corner and I was just like, it's just so much more fun to like everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you can find something that you like about anything like that journey to me at this stage in my life is like a lot more rewarding than than writing stuff off you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. see that's why i think the term guilty pleasure is stupid it's like if you like something great you don't need to feel guilty about it yeah let your freak flag fly yeah unless it's like you know exploiting or people or something okay maybe you should feel bad about that but like (laughs) hey i like Hey, I like, you know, action movies from, you know, the Philippines. Okay, great. Enjoy yeah. them. I'm not going to stop you. I love listening to ABBA. <laughs> that one got you? All right. I'm good with that. I love ABBA too. <laughs> I didn't think that was a guilty pleasure. I never thought of ABBA as a guilty pleasure. They had number one songs. Okay. Uh, yeah, they they so. did. Uh, and, I mean, now those movies are hits and uh, Pierce Brosnan is skyrocketing. <laughs> Chris Brosnan really made a comeback, which I don't think any of us anticipated. <laughs> no, no. I I am excited for Pierce Brosnan to reach like uh like Jean-Claude Van Damme levels of like self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Especially with like the the uh like bizarre accented uh Pierce Brosnan when he's like trying to hide the Irish but can't quite do it. That's my favorite. <laughs> and I remember him from um uh, Remington Steel. Remington Steel. There uh, was no Remington Steel. The original thing which prevented him from being James Bond. Mm-hmm. 
He was going to be James Bond before Timothy Dalton. And he was literally like everything was ready to go. He was about to walk out the door to the press conference to be like, I'm James Bond. And then the phone rang and they're like, good news. We're renewing Remington Steel. Ah, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Okay. (laughs) It's like Bruce Willis with Die Hard. At a certain point, he's just like, I don't want to do Moonlighting anymore. I want to do this. Crappy action movie. Not crappy action. Which, that, which was thought of as crappy at the time. It wasn't until it came out that I think people realized how good it was. The masterful of screenwriting and stuff. Steven Need D'Souza. Yeah. Yeah, right? Which, fun fact, he actually wrote a... No, he wrote for a TV show that ended up being used on Mystery Science Theater 3000. That was his first gig. No way! Was writing, was writing for this this kind of invisible man rip-off pilot, uh, television show that... Ended up getting like formed into a pilot uh, movie type thing that ended up being on Mystery Science Theater. And if you bought that episode on DVD, they have an interview with Steven D'Souza about how he got started. Is he more excited about the Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, MST3K treatment than, uh, 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 what's his name? Who's the guy who hates um, Mitchell, uh, Joe Don Joe Baker? Baker. I think I don't think this is a secret. Well, I'll tell you the Joe Maker. He doesn't even mention Mystery Science. He's just like, yeah. So the show fails, and then thir- I guess thirteen years later, like they take this, take a bunch of episodes and kind of mash them into one movie. <laughs> he certainly isn't sitting there going like, "You ruined my career." <laughs> but the funny thing with Joe Don Baker is, we talked to someone. I don't think this is a secret. I think we're allowed to say we talked to somebody who makes the documentaries that go on those DVDs. Mm-hmm. And this person actually called Joe Don Baker to see if he would be willing to do an interview for the DVD for Mitchell or for whatever yeah. uh, episode was being released. And they, they called, you know, they called uh, Jonah Baker and he's like, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so, you know, I'm, I want to, I'm doing a DVD thing for Mitchell and, you know, we want to have you interview, you know, see if you'd be interested in interviewing Joe Don Baker says, who the hell would want to talk about Mitchell? <laughs> and... Because it's for the mystery science, they have to say, well, it's for the mystery science, because if you don't say that, you could get in trouble later. So, right. well, it's for the mystery science theater three, and John Baker says, ah, the robot show. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not doing no robot show. The robot show. Ah, huh, that's, that's, that's a cute way to think of it. Well, we, I, I never talked to him, but I, because um, I did talk to a number of people who had their movie featured on mystery science, and a lot of them are pretty cool with it. Yeah. And then, but I never talked to him, but I knew someone who did talk to him, the guy who directed Incredibly Strange Creatures, who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Okay. Uh, and like, they called him and he was like the nicest guy ever. He's like, oh, he, like, I love my cult status. He's great. Like, and, and then they, like, so he's like the nicest guy ever. He loves the fact that he's directed this cheesy movie. He loves the kind of persona that he has ensued. And then they brought up Mystery Science Theater 3000. And oh boy, did that conversation turn when he mentioned Mystery Science Theater 3000. Really? So, suddenly he wasn't so happy. Interesting. Well, I mean, you know, I uh, I, uh, I was listening to, do you know the podcast I Was There Too? No. So it's a podcast that features people who were in... Uh, basically background roles in famous scenes of movie history. So like the classic example is the woman with the baby carriage in the train station shootout in the untouchables, uh, like a stormtrooper, people like that. Mm. And in an interview with Matt Gorley, the host, he was talking about how quite a few people 
when he was initially reaching out to people for the podcast, they they didn't want to be on it because they thought it was it, it was making fun of them. It was like a, a feature of somebody whose career went nowhere. That's the way that they interpreted it, which is not mm-hmm. what the show was about at all. But I can see if somebody just explained MST3K to somebody without them seeing it, like, oh, well, we made fun of your, your, your shit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so, of course, uh, we're here to talk about an episode today, so yes. let us dive in head first. We're going to be talking about uh, Season 1, Pop Name Scooby-Doo, for letter or worse. Yay. I'm kind of bummed that they didn't spell uh, it F-O-U-R. <laughs> or letter. Or... I don't get how that would work, though, because there weren't numbers didn't really apply to it. Yeah, I know, but also these uh, titles very often aren't really, uh, they're just puns for puns' sake, but I guess it did have to be the actual show within the show, but mm-hmm. I just like the idea of it being like a four-letter word. It's like, oh. Oh, it is four-letter. You're, damn, you're, it's four words. Yeah. Four-letter, or, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's, and four has four letters in it. There we go. Okay. No, you're right. They should have done that. That was a missed opportunity. Uh, but I must, so y- you actually came back to the uh, foundation of this podcast was that the guest picks the episode and you wanted yes. to pick this episode. Please tell us why. Why did I pick this episode? Okay, I'm sure that you have a theory why I picked this episode, but there's actually another reason why I picked this episode. Why do you, I'm going to ask you this question. Why do you think I picked this episode? You're into game shows. That was part of it, but <laughs> the, the actual reason I picked this episode, this was the first episode of a pup named Scooby-Doo that I ever saw. Really? Yes. Take us back. What what was what was the situation? Uh, it, this was Cartoon Network. I think this was like 2000, 2001. Uh, no, 2000, 2001 ish. Maybe a little 1999, somewhere in that range. And I I had seen the previous Scooby Doo incarnations. What's with you? What's no? What's with you is your show. Uh, <laughs> Scooby Doo, where are you? And uh, um, Scooby Doo mystery. Scooby Doo, the new Scooby Doo movies. I think I had seen part of. Uh, um, what was the other one? The 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 one that Scooby show. You know, not the one with Scratch. No, I'm sure I'd seen that one too. The mm. one with Scratch, Scooby, and Shaggy only. Yes, um, yeah, but the, I just like short was, little eleven minute ones. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this aired at three in Kansas. This aired three p.m. on Saturday, and I remember Cartoon Network uh, back then. They would have the thing, you know, coming up next on Cartoon Network. It's uh, you know, Freakazoid followed by Justice League America. And then, so what I saw was I was watching Cartoon Network. And it's like coming up next on, on Cartoon Network, uh, you know, Freakazoid or something. And then a pup named Scooby Doo. And I was just like, a pup named Scooby Doo? I gotta watch this. <laughs> and so what happened was young Josh microwaving his popcorn to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was I actually we had to go somewhere. I had to go to um get my clothes for school fitted because I went to Catholic school and we had uniforms. So I Classic. had to go get fitted. So I couldn't uh, see it. So I had to pop a tape and record it. Mm. Just so really quick digression. Uh, did you guys go have ahead. to wear ties? No. No. What was the uniform? Uh, it, was bl- it was a blue, um, I guess, polo shirt with uh, black uh, dress pants. Classic. We had uh, green... Uh, option of green or blue polo shirt and then option of khaki or blue pants. Mm-hmm. 
And then when you got to seventh and eighth grade, you were given the option of you could wear either a red or a green shirt. What? Instead, a red or a green polo. And I, I because I was super obsessive compulsive, I wore a red shirt my entire seventh grade year and then in a green shirt my entire eighth grade year. Hmm. Good choice. Good choices yeah. all around. Uh, d- did you guys have like, um, okay, these are two different things that I've heard of. We had like a gene Friday, maybe like once every other month or something. But I've also heard in retrospect, now what schools are doing is they are having like donation. So like you donate like a dollar to a charity and then you can wear your jeans on Friday. I, we may have had some variant of that. The thing I remember most was we had Chiefs Fridays where we would have, we, were, we would be allowed to wear Chiefs shirts or sweaters instead. Hmm. Interesting. Which is, which is a football team here in, in Kansas that everyone loves. There you go. <laughs> we never had Royals Day even though, yeah. Well, because everyone, yeah. Kansas City Royals. Everyone, by the way, every, yeah, everyone here is, is super bitter. I, I don't know when this is going to air because the, the, the Chiefs just lost to um, the Patriots. <laughs> so everyone here is super pissed. We're like, damn it, we were so close. We haven't been to the Super Bowl since like '69. <laughs> Holy jeez! Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, there we go. Uh, that was your what's with you, Scooby Doo sports talk. <laughs> I'm sure that the the sports fans in Canada are super eager to hear about American football games. <laughs> So, uh, well, they might be. Who knows? We, of course, do rule the world. <laughs> so the gang goes to their favorite game show hosted in the local TV network, yeah. HBTV. And it's called Four Letter or Worse <laughs> is the name of this game show. Which, when it's like, it shows the title of the episode and then immediately it's on the uh, billboard outside of the TV studio. That's just like one of those moments where I'm always just like, drink. <laughs> By the way, where did you, if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to put this in. Where did you watch this episode? Uh, I, well, so I have two methods of watching these. I, uh, I bought the whole thing on iTunes, Mm -hmm. uh, but I also have the boomerang subscription through Amazon, which is only like four bucks a month or something. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I bring it up is because I watched it on iTunes. Did you watch it on iTunes or did you watch it on boomerang? I did watch it on iTunes. Okay. I watched it on iTunes, but it's because I, I remember it being, we have the title sequence then we get the title card. Then we go into the episode. I mm-hmm. hope I'm not remembering that wrong. But when I watched it on iTunes, it was title sequence, uh, kind of intro segment of the show, then tit- uh, intro segment where we first meet Al Cabone, and then we get the title card. And I'm like, I don't remember that when I was a kid. I remember it being title sequence, title card, going into the episode. And I'm wondering if they like edited it for TV airings or something. It might have been. Um a lot of that stuff gets mixed around. I also know the the one that really got me was that supposedly Goober and the Ghost Chasers, uh, they edited out. God, I hate that word. Edited. Um, they edited out the laugh track for re-airings on Cartoon Network. <laughs> so like it's just like dead air. <laughs> Do you know the story about SCTV, uh, their laugh track guy? No. They so SCTV for those who don't know was a like a sketch show in the eighties that was sort of a it was it was it, which most people would say is probably better than Saturday Night Live I would certainly think that but uh, sure pioneering they, they, Catherine yeah, O'Hara Eugene yeah. Levy and all Rick your Moranis. favorites Rick Moranis Dave Thomas mm. Joe Flaherty I hope I'm remembering John Candy yeah, yeah. most people saw John but um 
So they were told you have to have a laugh track. And so, but during the third season of the show, like they, they went to film in like a small Canadian town or a, like Edmonton, which for those who aren't from Canada is a small, uh, you know, like kind of in the middle of nowhere town in Canada. I mean, but and, also the home yeah. of the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. Well, this was before Gretzky. So this was be, this was pre America loving the Oilers, but, uh, <laughs> Um, like they, so they had to have a laugh, like they, like someone said, look, you got to have a laugh track, not up for debate. You got to have a laugh track, got to have a laugh track. And so they had a guy, their guy who laughed the show was a chicken farmer who lived in Edmonton, who was making extra money as a guy who was laughing this major network show. And he didn't get, he didn't get any of the jokes. He didn't get any of the references. Just anytime there was dead air in the show, he would put a laugh in. <laughs> Which kind of feels like what they did for Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah, like I we watch Scooby Doo. It's like, gang, we got to go solve this mystery. <laughs> like uh, if that were me, I'd be like, like I'm so scared, Scoob. The like we have to go check out that dark cave. <laughs> um, is my fly open? Or is this... <laughs> A brilliant move, however. Yeah. Hmm. Again, I stand by my theory that that was like a last-second decision. Yeah. That's, uh, well, I mean, you know, sometimes those are the best decisions. The decisions yeah. that you just make sometimes are the best ones. Mm -hmm. mm. It certainly helps the longevity of us remembering the show, which is funny because when I think, I don't think anyone remembers that when they think about Scooby-Doo or Are You. I certainly don't. Yeah, uh, the, the fact that I've had to bring it up to multiple people and they're always like, what now? And I'm like, yep, there's the laugh track. For a cartoon? Yeah, yeah. Same thing with the Flintstones. Uh, so speaking of uh, jokes that I enjoy, uh, <laughs> Scooby and Shaggy, uh, these pop name Scooby-Doo is narrated in the beginning by Shaggy, which I mm -hmm. love to no avail. I mean, Casey Kasem, this was Casey Kasem's show. I feel like he is the main feature. He's all over it. This was like the one where he got to stand out. I love that. Yeah, because this is... Uh, there's a later, I think it's episode that airs immediately after this one, the babysitter episode, which I also saw that day. I saw this episode. Um, is that the one with the, uh, three headed zombie? Yeah. Yeah. Where we meet Shaggy's parents and they sound exactly like, like they, they don't, they don't sound exactly like him. They're like, you know, I'm a, you know, serious detective, but they still use Shaggy's vernacular. Yeah. So everything's like, yes, son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. Uh, he was great. Give, yeah. him, give him an award. I agree. And the, I mean, up until he passed, he was probably the he probably had the most Scooby Doo's of anybody ever. Yeah. I, I mean, so. Frank Welker might have surpassed him by now. But um, I mean, he like he was in every show as Shaggy and sometimes, you know, Shaggy's dad, uh, depending on the show. But he made it like more than anybody else. Yeah. It's crazy. Casey Kasem. Uh, up in heaven, on with the countdown. I tip my cap off to you. <laughs> and now, on with the countdown. One goddamn <laughs> dead dog. <laughs> I know you bring up Hoobastank. The one I always think is, how did he ever get on there and say, and next, coming up next, you know, at number 20, it's Short Dick Man by 20 <laughs> Fingers. Like, how the hell did that end up getting on the radio? And next up, the Butthole Surfers. <laughs> <laughs> Like Dick Clark, I remember in an interview saying, like, yeah, people are surprised by the music I know. Like, you know, 
Oh yeah, I, I love the music of Bone Thugs in Harmony, but <laughs> I, I, I have a hard time believing that Casey Kasem was aware of the Bone Thugs in Harmony. Yeah, yeah, I can't see him really being into it. Uh, but also, was it? I think it was. Oh no, Dick Cavett. Mm-hmm. I saw outside of uh, Thirty Rock one time. <sighs> uh, maybe definition of a humble brag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Scooby and Shaggy are sharing a rotisserie chicken. I loved that I gag. Love, I love the mini grill thing. I don't know where they got that. Right? <laughs> I like I like the work that's going into this portable snack. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Uh, anytime there's, like, infrastructure involved, I'm totally in. The joke is always that Shaggy would have gone up to become, like, some sort of famous chef, and I'm like... Yeah, this makes me kind of buy it, although I am skeptical because I feel like if you put Shaggy in a room with a bunch of food, you're going to end up with a room with not so much food in it anymore. Yeah, and he's not always making the most edible things for like for the masses. Like It's always mm-hmm. like anchovy and chocolate pizza with a helping of whipped cream. Well, hey, I've never tried that. Maybe he's onto something. He might be on. I mean, savory and sweet is big right now. Uh, chocolate-covered bacon. Yep. Mm. Yeah, never been my thing. But, I mean, you know, could get into it. I haven't eaten bacon in years, so. Really? Probably for the better, yeah. Are you a veggie, or are you just... No, uh, I, I can't eat bacon, like, because of the insane amount of bacon fat in it. I guess, although, I guess you could eat, like, turkey bacon or something, but I just... I mean, I might eat if it's there, but I try to avoid it. Oh, okay, so it's, like, health reasons. You're like, man, yeah. I'm not going to get into that. I can, I, can, mm. I can get behind that. Uh, good for you. <laughs> Uh, WWYSD stamp of approval. Uh, uh, so they uh, meet the bad guy. Uh, Freddy calls it the Scooby Doo Detective Agency as opposed to yep. Mystery Inc., which I really enjoy. When did Mystery Inc. come around? Did that not come around till Mystery Incorporated? I'm trying to think. Hmm. I feel like it because we had the Mystery Machine. Yeah. It. Mm, hmm. It might have been, man. You know, yeah, I, I think it was, incorpor- was. I think it was incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> that sentence taken out of context. I just like the <laughs> idea of you being like, no, they, they incorporated. Yeah, they, they were an LLC. <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah, when, they were, when, they were, when they were solving mysteries for sandwiches, part of that went to the government. <laughs> Freddie applied for a grant when he was like, "How old?" Which, by the way, how old are they in this? I, I didn't look that up. I know how old they are in the original. I didn't look up how old they are here. I think they're supposed to be uh, uh, preteens, so they're like, you know, probably somewhere in the ballpark. Like Velma is probably like seven. Okay, so that puts that everyone else at like eight, nine. nine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe ten, because uh, Shaggy's sister Shuggy uh, is a baby. So, I mean, they're probably pretty young. Yeah. Uh, of course, they're at this game show taping. <laughs> the it, Okay, so we get Go introduced ahead. to Al Cabone, the villain of the piece, in a very peculiar way that made me think of something that uh, pretty gruesome. When, Sh- when Scooby first encounters him, he's just walking through a studio. And all we see are two dangling feet. <laughs> oh, I didn't ever even occurred to me. I saw that oh. and I was like, what? <laughs> Maybe it's because I have such an innocent mind. It never occurred to me that, oh, Scooby, that 
Scooby came across the, the dead body of some cameraman who committed suicide. Yeah, I was just like, well, this took a dark turn. And then he was floating in air, and I was like, oh, thank God. Uh, Again, I think we've talked about this. Like uh, Scooby-Doo solving actual like murder crimes would be kind of bizarre <laughs> something i kind of but part of me wants to really see it like again i said this the darker scooby gets the better it is yeah, which is but, weird because we're talking about a show that's not super dark right now but still. and probably m- maybe the most cartoony out of all of them mm-hmm. i mean it's the most like looney tunes-esque are you familiar with the anime uh detective conan or case closed no okay it's about this 17 year old kid who's like the great like this mess massive like insanely good detective mm-hmm. and he stumbles across he's 17 and he stumbles across upon something he's not supposed to see and at, 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 through kind of convoluted anime storyline they they decide let's kill this guy so let's give him a drug so they drug him but instead of killing him the drug uh reduces him and makes him like a seven-year-old interesting okay and so he he goes he kind of goes into hiding and so he goes into uh, like a like a, I guess a second grade class, sort of an attempt to hide himself. Right. But the crazy and so he like he he befriends like these actual seven seven year olds, you know like because he's school. you know uh, he looks like a seven year old but now he's yeah, uh, incredibly mature for a seven year old. Yeah, but they keep stumbling upon like actual like. And they form a detective agency, not unlike the Scooby-Doo detective agency. <laughs> and they form, like, a detective agency. But they end up stumbling upon, like, actual murder crimes. Mm. And they end up solving, like, in the same way, like, Murder, She Wrote, where they always somehow end up finding somebody who dies. Yeah. But it's, like, seven-year-olds discovering it. Seven-year-olds solving these murders. As opposed to Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, it's, like, well, okay, like. Again, Jessica Fletcher, like you, she looks for these murders to some extent. It's like, where do these seven? Like, if you're a police officer, you're like, why are we letting these seven-year-olds around this crime scene get these children away? Like, won't they be traumatized? <laughs> but like, that's also, uh, I mean, similar to the Scooby Gang. It's like a superpower of like, mm-hmm. if you check into a bed and breakfast, that bed and breakfast, there will be a murder. You know, it's just like yeah. that seems to be your weird superpower. And these guys go on a game show and they they meet. Al, Cab- Al Cabone, which is may or may not be a parody of Al Capone. I'm not 100% certain. Oh, it is. Because they bring up one of my all-time favorite pop culture references, oh. which is Al Capone's vault. I was hoping you were going to bring that up. <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> Geraldo Rivera's two-hour special where he reveals that there was nothing in Al, Cap- Al Capone's vault. The note. Ha! Fooled you. <laughs> Again, I, every, whenever I think about that, I'm like, why didn't they open it ahead of time and look inside? It seems like like this is a huge risk you're taking. Sure. Not checking to see what's inside the, the vault. Right. But the other thing behind it is that, like, just the balls on that guy to be like, well, that's it. <laughs> No, well, I love that he keeps. I, man, because I, I remember reading, he's like he keeps trying. He's like, keep looking. Maybe there's, <laughs> maybe there's more. Maybe there's more than just these old whiskey bottles. Like, no, I guess there's not. No well, crap. Well, crap. Even in his, either either in his syphilitic state, he had it emptied, or all the people who worked for him were like, yeah, we're getting the money out. <laughs> 
Which again, I go back to. It's like you should like they should have opened it ahead of time, and like when they see that, either a cancel the special or b oh I don't know maybe plant something in there. <laughs> Like, like, plant some gold bars or some dead bodies or the Lindbergh baby or something. The Lindbergh baby. <laughs> when was that? Was that, wasn't that like, uh, when did that baby get kidnapped? 36 or 37, I think. All right, yeah. Okay, so around the same time, right? <laughs> and fun fact, Norman Schwarzkopf's grandfather was the lead detective in the case. There you go. <laughs> also, uh crazy <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so we are introduced to multiple um uh mr x in this show which end up all being uh spoiler alert the exact same person which i absolutely love i thought this show is the first one i feel like that actually tries to make something of the mystery mm, yeah i guess so because i remember trying to solve them as a kid i remember being like, as a kid, I remember going, who did it? Now, and I think I got it right, like, 99 out of 100 times with this show. Yeah, yeah. As a kid, even as, like, a, as a nine-year-old kid, I was like, it, but, but watching it for this this thing, I remember Prestina comes on the screen for the first time, and I'm like, she did it. Right. And and there, then, there was no need to investigate. <laughs> sure. But they, like, they're, they're, they at least go through the motions way more than uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Yeah. And not... And I'm not saying like a bad or worse thing. I'm just saying like the 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 medium had evolved by this point to where going through the motions like needed to happen of being like, oh well, Pop definitely has the motivation because look at this diary. <laughs> and like, who was you know, the third guy? Um, uh, marvelous Mel. I wrote it down. Um, Mel. The great Mel. I feel great like it Mel. was not. There wasn't a lot of effort put into his name. Yeah. Uh, oh, at one point in the background, uh, parking fifty cents. I loved that. Oh yeah, great Mel. Great Mel. Yeah. Who also like did, turns yeah. out to be Prestina. <laughs> By the, are we gonna? Do we want to get into more stuff before we talk about the the story plot of it, or are we just gonna save that for later? No, let's do it. What do you want to get into? Because well, I was just gonna say it's like Prestina's impersonating all these characters. I'm like, wow, she is really good actress. That she's able to play this old, this old, you know, crotchety stagehand and this wannabe magician. I had that exact same thought. And once again, the person could have done better marketing this skill rather than turning to a life of crime. And the fact she does, she quick changes. Like, I think she's Al Cabone, Al Cabone and then she's back to Pristina, and then she's back to Al Cabone. Like, I think it had to have been less than 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, that could have been like a uh, just jump in the suit, inflate it kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm okay. just putting too much thought into it. She goes from being old man pop pops to being the great Mel. Again, yeah. like even shorter period of time. It's like, wow, this lady's amazing. And you know that's like some like Wachowski uh, prosthetics in a Cloud Atlas situation. Yeah. If anybody gets that reference. <laughs> I didn't even get it, and I'm impressed. <laughs> no, I feel like three people saw that movie. Uh, but uh, Tom Hanks wears a lot of prosthetic makeup throughout the entirety of the movie as various characters throughout uh, uh, multiple realities. Uh, Cloud Atlas, originally a, a novel by David Mitchell. Anyways. <laughs> He's like, after this, I'm just going to do CGI from now on. <laughs> Motion capture. 
<laughs> Although I guess mocap's gone away, so never mind. I guess he's going to have to go back to the prosthetics. Love it. I like practical effects. Um, we can talk about the Brainy Bunch. Who the were, Brainy Bunch. They, yeah, they were the uh, villains. They, they were, well, they weren't villains. They were put as the counterpart to Scooby and Shaggy being on For Letter or Worse. Which is a parody, which is like a Wheel of Fortune type parody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but with fishing, mm-hmm. which so if it in you'd probably know better than I in Wheel of Fortune, did you always have to like ask for a letter, or could you just start up straight up being like, I know what the word is? You could, although it was very. I, I think it only. I don't think it ever has ever happened on Wheel of Fortune. You certainly could say, "We get the puzzle up there." You certainly could say, "I want to solve it now." Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Yeah. Which again, like, like the thing that that fascinates me, or the thing that I sat there wondering, like, what the thing is when we they start out and they get the word immediately, and then it like crossfades, insinuating that a bunch of time has gone on while they're playing this game. Mm. And they like my question is, where did they come up with the number twenty five thousand three hundred twenty one for the point score of the Brainy Bunch? I'm like, does that number mean something? Yeah. Especially since uh, Scooby and Shaggy win at 30,003 or something like that, right? Yeah. Like, where did these numbers come from? (laughs) Uh, Usually it's like 30, usually it's like, you know, 20 and then 21 or something like that. Right. Yeah. One point per thing or five points per thing, not 253 points per thing. Also, the fact that it comes down to this one, pu- which is something you see occasionally in game shows where we'll have watched something for 20 minutes and then it'll be like, okay, and now for the final round where like one billion points are up for grabs. It's like, well, what was the point in the previous stuff if this one puzzle is going to decide the winner? Yeah, we're leading up to this crazy conclusion. <laughs> All the points are quadrupled. Okay. So they go fishing for letters. Is the th- Which, by the way, did you ever watch the children's version of Wheel of Fortune? Probably not. Maybe I caught it. Again, they had to I, – I don't know who the executive producer was who decided this, but they had to think of a way to differentiate it from the original Wheel of Fortune and, as well as kind of making it embroiled for kids, something mm-hmm. that kids would like. So they had this round where – like a space on the wheel that was sort of like a physical challenge, like on Double Dare, where <laughs> if you land on the space, you go do a physical challenge and – the physical challenges would always be something like feed a uh, giant dinosaur dinosaur bones, and then when you feed him the bone, like the random letter shuffler gives you a letter. And I'm like, wow, this this is a desperate attempt to make Wheel of Fortune for children when you probably could have just made Wheel of Fortune for children. <laughs> right. I mean, good on them for trying at least? I don't know. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh but, uh, oh, also fun fact, uh, Kath Susie is doing both voices similar to uh, Lil and Dill from Rugrats. Is she doing the girl? I know she's doing the boyish. Are we sure she's doing the girl? Well, she's credited as both. And as we all know, IMDb is never wrong. I looked it up on Scoobypedia, and I don't think this is right either, but it said um, uh, um, Gordon, Gordon Hunt's wife. Uh, oh, BJ Ward. B.J. Ward was the girl, which oh. I don't think that's right either. Maybe. So. Huh. B.J. Ward is, well, we don't need to go into that. Uh, she has a great opera comedy album. Do you know that genre that everybody loves to make fun of? 
And she's the one that kind of fell off the planet voice actor wise. I'm like, what happened to BJ Ward? She was everywhere. And now she's just kind of, she you don't really hear from her anymore. Yeah. 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 I mean, I wonder if she got into it because she was Gordon Hunt's wife and also talented. I, th- I don't know. I think that's how they met. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Uh, of course, Gordon Hunt, fame director and uh, father of Helen Hunt. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> they uh, they get parking for 50 cents. I still that is one of my there are so many background gags in Pup Name Scooby-Doo in general that are just so much fun because there's no point to them. But somebody just bothered to like put detail into a background. I always love it when that happens. Uh, nothing comes to mind other than I remember one for this episode. Nah, I got nothing. That other was, than that aforementioned, that little rotisserie chicken thing that I liked. Oh, yeah. The Parking 50 Cents was the only one I saw in this one. There was another one in another episode where there was a billboard, like a, like a cork board in the background, and one of the things tacked to the cork board said, this. <laughs> and that just made me laugh so hard. <laughs> well, you got to think someone's going to see that like, this like they pick it up look under it like it's got to be something uh the only thing that i thought was a missed opportunity was if the cork board came back later in the show and instead of this it said that (laughs) (laughs) that would have been good oh man missed opportunity uh so scooby eats a truckload of scooby snacks i i will say that the scooby in this iteration is very altruistic because once he finds out that he can hold out for a truckload of scooby snacks he never does it again Mm -hmm. it's not like well my prices are raised now now that i know that you're willing to go this high he's just like look i'm down for whatever man (laughs) maybe he knew the fluctuation of the scooby snack market and he thought you know we've got a lot of scooby snacks in the market i could probably get a truckload if i ask for it i can i can bring down inflation (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) And then in the next episode, it's like, well, you know, I did ask for the truckload and, you know, like and the market's not doing so great. I'll just ask for one box. I actually have a rate in mind when I'm thinking of these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then uh, while they're investigating, trying to find the uh, Al Cabone, uh, Count Shakula comes back, which I believe was in the uh, Beyond- Babysitter from Beyond episode. Maybe not which that will one. come later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so, I, I never Oh yeah, you're right. Right? Because, so they're pre-doing. They're they're anticipating it. So there's actual right. like continuity in this universe. Yeah. Well, I know there's one episode cuz this stands out in my head where a person and you may, I don't think you covered this episode if you have I'm remembering wrong where uh, a woman ends up it turns out it's this woman who's like the assistant to someone. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling a future episode for you people. And she ends up going to jail and then in a future episode she comes back as the assistant, but she's wearing like the prison stripes and she's got a, like a guard next to her. Yeah. All the, time. the second episode, I believe, is the the wrestle the wrestling one. I can't remember yeah. what the name of it, but the it's WWE like, parody. WWF yeah, like, parody. Sorry. Wait, I thought she went to prison. Yeah, she did. But it's hard to get a good assistant. Nowadays. <laughs> Which I mean, like, yeah. All right. Cool. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, uh, whatever that woman's name was. She's helping rehabilitate her when you think about it. She's doing she's doing a good deed. And she's probably getting a tax break. Yeah. I mean, okay, that's so genius. Yeah. I would I mean, well, that's kind of like that. Did you ever watch there was no, you probably wouldn't have seen this. There was a Fox reality show that was like a parody of the of the apprentice. It was called My Big Fat Obnoxious Boss. 
Okay. I kind of remember that. Yeah, it was a reality competition show where these people were competing for the chance to work for this, like, abuse, like this, like, he wasn't a real boss. He was an actor playing a guy, but they didn't know that. Okay. And he was this boss who was like this cutthroat type guy, sort of what we would later see with Donald Trump once he became president, which is something we won't go into here. But (laughs) the thing I remember at the end is he's like, like the big thing he gets angry at the the final contestants about is because they, uh, like his board, like his fake board of directors come up and they're like questioning, like, you know, did you know he was trying to get people to buy cyanide gas? Did you know he was, you know, marketing this thing? Like they bring up all these bad stuff and they're like, and they defend him. They're like, no, I don't think he knew at all. And they defend him. And then he comes back and his big angry thing is like, why didn't you sell me out? <laughs> they're like, why didn't we sell you out? Yeah, you idiots. You should have sold me out. If you wanted to be cutthroat in this business world, you would have gotten up and told them. That's the reason why these two people sitting next to me work for me, because I know that they'll send me up the river any chance they get. They'll all Well, and similarly, if they see an opportunity to screw someone else over to make me money, they're going to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, which is one of those things. Would you hire someone that you knew went out of their way to screw you over in an attempt to help themselves? And it's there's all those, there's all those weird business strategies like that. Like uh, uh, famously, they say that Disney would put together people who didn't like each other because he felt that out of that conflict, a better product would come out. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, because he famously did not get along with his brother at all, so he was like basing it off of that. <laughs> I would like again. I, you know, some of the best bands in the world, like the Eagles, Sticks, uh, like a lot of the, the police. best bands in the world. The police Van Halen are all staffed with members who absolutely hate each other's guts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what what is the the thing where um, isn't it? Glenn Glenn Fry looks at um, Don Felder and he goes, "After this song is over, I'm gonna murder you." <laughs> I don't remember that, but it wouldn't surprise me. God, they hated him. Yeah. But they made great music. It's that weird thing of people who absolutely hate each other. Sometimes it's this weird thing. It's uh, what was it? Um, uh, not Jennifer Graham, the other one. Uh, we were just talking about Moonlighting, uh, Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis. Oh, like, yeah. Two people who absolutely despised each other and wanted to kill each other, yet they made great TV together. Mm. Uh, 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 Elizabeth, um, oh my gosh. Uh, and, Taylor and Richard Burton? Yep. That's no. exactly who I was thinking of. Wow. Nice pull. <laughs> I just watched something with them, so maybe that's why. I just watched a trivia show with where they were the answer to something. Oh, okay. I thought so you were going to say, I just watched Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> no. Did they date, though, at some point? They were married. Okay. They were married, and famously, uh, a couple of drunks that would ruin any party. <laughs> Very fun. Um, so they find the diary. Uh here was an interesting thing, just sequence-wise, talking about going back earlier where it was like, uh, did the title sequence come first or what happened? This was an interesting one for me where they laid out the suspects before they were about to unmask. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. That's not typical of this. Usually it's they lay out the suspects and then they take the mask. Yeah, like they, well, they also. The person that didn't get mentioned. Right. They have like the uh, the trap. And then when the person's sitting there, they wait through this entire exposition of, well, I think it was this person. Well, I think it was this person. Obviously, it's red herring. Knock it off, Jones. You know. Uh, But she's not even in this episode. (laughs) Daphne's quote. Never is. 
Which, uh, by the way, was confusing when you see this episode. Is this is the first episode? Like, who is this character? Okay. Because <laughs> in the first episode, he gets a big backstory. I think. Yeah, and then there's also something about like how his dad hates him or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good old red herring. Uh, I would love to see him come back. Uh, <laughs> well, a la I, I flam in the new one. <laughs> Yeah, I get the feeling that Red Herring cleaned up his life and he became like a successful like investment banker or something. See, that would be the most fun one of like seeing like adult Fred and adult Red Herring like in the suit. But like at one point, like he's like in the gym working out and you see the tattoo. <laughs> like how much fun would that be? <laughs> well, when you think about it, like Fred's not doing much with his life. Well, uh, presumably he did own a mystery bookstore at one point. As previously stated, Fred's not doing much with his life. (laughs) Statement stands, sir. In this day and age, yeah, Fred is not doing much with his life if he's owning a a genre bookstore. (laughs) I mean, good on you. Again, going back to the guilty pleasure thing, I guess if you love it, do it. But uh, I find it hard to believe that you're sustaining a good business. Yeah, he's got regulars, you know. Uh, yeah, okay. Famously, Paul F. Tompkins has that bit about working uh, in 1991 or 92. He worked at a video store called Beta Only. <laughs> uh, and in his words, the dream of Beta had long since died. Uh, but they lay out the suspects. Uh, I remember asking my- and I, I sorry, like quick tangent. oh sorry you got a tangent no I was just gonna ask quick tangent I just remember asking my dad dad did you ever have any faith on beta no <laughs> I think I own something on Betamax I don't think we owned a Betamax player but I think somebody like accidentally bought like a Betamax tape mm. Mm. Uh, but uh, they lay out all these suspects and of course the one who isn't well no technically they all are which I really enjoyed that uh, I liked that Velma said, like, uh, well, technically you're all right. I love that it's technical. Now I go back to what a bitch Velma is. Like, she couldn't even give them, like, you guys are all right. Looks up you, Fred. Like, she had like, well, I guess technically you're right. Yeah, but I do also, like, I like that she doesn't reveal it then. She's like, and we'll get to it in just a little bit, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I like her showmanship. Which is always—it's always, it's always a, a trope that I love to point out. I don't know if this is on TV tropes or not, but uh, a trope that I noticed is anytime you see someone talking about a plan, like anytime they're like, "Okay, so here's what we're gonna do," you'll distract the ghost. Yeah. When you hear the whispers, you know it's gonna work. But when you actually hear the plan, like if someone's like, "Here's what's gonna happen, Shaggy, you're gonna pretend to be a game show host, and Freddie, you're gonna be the announcer, and we're gonna drop him in the water." Like anytime you see that, it means the plan is going to fail. Right. Right. Never thought of that before. And amazing. <laughs> yeah. But because in this version, they whisper it with a plan works. Yeah, because you're, you're not privy to that information. Mm-hmm. So you got to be surprised by it. There always needs to be a surprise. Uh, the, the, um, <laughs> the game show thing in general, it was like a variation on the costume gag of, you know, Scooby and Shaggy put on outfits and all of a sudden the, the villain has to play along with this improv game that they've created on the spot for him. Again, uh, she's a great actress. She's really good at this stuff. She deserves, like, you know, she's squandering her talents. Oh. I stand yeah. by that. I am on it, see? 
Did okay, I gotta say this. Did gangsters actually say C in the thirties? Like I'm not super adept on my knowledge of thirties era gangsters. Did did Al Capone or any other gangster actually say C at the end of a sentence? To my knowledge, it's all based upon I think it's Edward G. Robinson. The, who uh, uh, f- famous actor? I think he was mm-hmm. the one who kind of created that thing, and so everyone was doing a okay. an impression of him, and that got so much into the zeitgeist that the like meow see, yeah, it's kind of like Dana Carvey's uh, uh, George Bush. You know, people aren't really Not doing a George that. Bush. Yeah, people aren't really doing a George Bush impression. They're doing an impression of Dana Carvey doing an impression of George Bush. Yeah, and to a certain extent. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I walked with the, the uh, walking. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of does the walking impression. Uh, and we could go on for hours. There are tons of those. Bill Shatner. Yeah. Uh, hasn't come up on the podcast yet. Uh, his latest Christmas album is terrible. And this coming from a person who likes to like things. <laughs> and who genuinely, I, I genuinely love Transform Man. I think that that album is amazing. Maybe not entirely for the reasons that Bill Shatner made that album, but I think it's amazing. <laughs> What's well, one of those questions? Is Bill Sh- is William Shatner in on the joke? Yeah, yeah. Do you think he's in on the joke, or do you think he isn't in on the joke? With Transform Man, I think it goes back and forth. Like, I, I, I'm not entirely sure how ironic it is, but I think that his imagining of being broad might be on the table. But God, when he's just when he's doing these like Shakespearean like battlements, Elsinore Castle, the wind howls ferociously. You know, it's just like so over the top and brilliant. But that Christmas album is awful. He hosted the the uh, Annie Awards in like nine, in like the thirty third annual Annie Awards back in like two thousand nine, I think. Seriously, he was, was he on great. a cartoon. No, uh, well, he may have been a th- like I don't know. If maybe they may have just had him as like host in place of Tom Kennedy or hmm. Tom Kennedy. Tom Kennedy's a game show. It's Tom right. Kenny. Yeah, who's, who's they may have just used him instead of Tom Kenny, which was weird because Tom Kenny was also there. <laughs> and he actually makes a joke. He actually makes a joke where Tom Kenny wins an Annie for SpongeBob. And Shatner goes up there and he's holding the Annie. He's like, here's something else I stole from Tom Kenny. <laughs> so again, okay, I, I, I stand my theory. I think he's in on the joke. Yeah, yeah. He seems to go back and forth sometimes. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, Bill Shatner digression. Uh, this has been Shat Chat. <laughs> you don't know Shat, which is another game <laughs> reference that we won't go to. He hosted a game show that was like a deal or no deal uh clone called you don't know shat no it was called uh show me the money but his catchphrase was you don't know shat uh, if you don't understand this game then you don't know shat great that's what he said great <laughs> somebody needed a paycheck uh so um pristina ends up being the bad guy they fool her with this costume gag and then just get her into the water yep take off the mask and boom she could float before but now that she is seated her floating abilities go away. Yeah, she turned off the rocket or whatever she had. Helium balloons, I think, are never, a typical one. We never find out how she did any of this stuff, other than the, how she got from there to the stage so quickly. Right. Uh, secret passageway. Mm-hmm. Uh, By the way, did we ever – can I ask a stupid question? Because I don't sure. remember – I kind of went back and I didn't – like I watched it once and then I kind of scrolled through it the second time. Mm-hmm. Did we ever see Pop eating peanuts? No. Okay, the, why the hell is there a trail of peanuts? Like, is there some scene that got cut or some aspect of the script we didn't see? 
I do feel very often with Pup Named Scooby-Doo that there are things that they plan to put in that don't get put in. Okay. I, I feel like there's often just like, yeah, and then there's this plot point. Uh, we'll get to it later. All right, cool. Oh, episode's already done. Oops. Mm-hmm. But the the big, uh, the what was it, the uh, smoking gun or the the thing is the rings. Yeah, which wearing. such a fashionista that even while she's wearing all this prosthetic makeup to conceal her identity and this amazing vocal technique to disguise her voice 100%, still can't think of taking off that ring. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she was happily married and she was refusing to, like, we don't know. She could have been very happily married. Maybe she was uh, very, very committed to that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> That's we don't know. Very, that's a very sweet. <laughs> and so much cynicism in this world. Why can't why can't I believe in love? I do. I love that. <laughs> at, actually, at first, I did think that she was married to the great Mel. I thought I thought that they were going to be a magician couple. Yeah. Which so was the great. Okay, we're getting into really really deep. So was the great Mel? It's it's on record that he worked for the studio at some point. No. So was she? What? He was trying to work for the studio. He had uh, approached the station manager previously before to have his show on. Uh, and that was supposedly Pristina's attempt to plant the smoking gun that it could be him and not her. Ah, uh, okay. Because I was going to say, like, doesn't. Well, then, okay, then why is she also then pretending to be Pop? I feel like you've got to pick one and not the other. Or frame a real person instead of framing fictional characters that are you. <laughs> well, okay, so it is it's it's established these are fictional I don't know if it's established or not. We're operating under the assumption these are fictional characters that she has created. Yes. Okay, so but doesn't Velma like look him up at some point and say, Oh, he used to work for some other studio, work for the studio and got fired two weeks ago or something like that? No, that was the uh the diary said that Pop was an old radio okay. DJ when the uh station used to be a radio station rather than so she had to do uh, like okay. uh research supposedly to be like, Oh, this used to be a radio station. Maybe Pop was a radio Ooh, I could put that in. Hope nobody looks up to see if he was actually a goddamn radio DJ here. Or she, yeah, she just made. Well, again, pre-internet, it would have been hard to look up that stuff. That's a good point. That's a good point. She could have just, she could have just made up this character and just wrote it in this diary and then planted the diary, which again is going to become a problem if, like, when Pop disappears and it's just her. I feel like this could cause problems down the road for her. But you know what? I'm going to let it slide. Well, yeah, like uh, all of a sudden she needs to like make up like fake plane tickets to like Cuba for the Great Mel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then <Respect> like. Then. <laughs> I yeah. guess it would have been a lot easier back then, pre nine eleven, to kind of do fake airline travel and to sneak into another country under another identity. Yeah, I mean, I always go back to the uh, the uh, John Mulaney bit about holding up banks back in the day, where like they would write their name on the wall with a machine gun. Like <laughs> nobody would like it was like, and tell them Babyface Nelson did it. Ha ha. Organized crimesters, you know that that was, wasn't that Al Capone's thing though. Did like he didn't he brag about murdering the. The, the Valentine's Day guys? The Valentine's Day Massacre? Yeah, planning it? Uh, maybe. I mean, yeah. Who Like, they they couldn't get him on that. They had to get him on tax evasion. They got him for the stupidest thing. Yeah, right. And meanwhile, John Gotti is pissed. He's like, he got on tax evasion? I got on for, like, triple murder? What the <laughs> hell? 
very nice sell in Alcatraz, though. He had a great. He uh, he still had a lot of money and was able to take care of himself. Uh, so, of course, we do only have one segment on this podcast. We are star stuff at the universe's test. Does this pass the Sagan test? Famed philosopher of science and scientist himself, Carl Sagan, once said that he wanted an adult version of Scooby-Doo because it propagated skepticism and the scientific method. Does this episode pass the Sagan test? Uh, my immediate answer is yes, it does. And only because when we – when not the first time we see him, but when Al Cabone comes and is like, get out of my studio, see? Uh, Daphne's like, there's no ghosts. Mm. She just sits there. And I, th- I think Daphne – I think Daphne uh, is is the one that – going back to my theory that Daphne's way more important than we give her credit for. She's the one that's like, that's no ghost. There's no such thing. I ain't afraid of no ghosts even. Yeah. I she just like it. Yeah. I think Daphne passes the, the Carly Simon test 100 <laughs> times out of 100. <laughs> I honestly cannot pull one Carly Simon song at all. Uh, you're so vain. Nobody does it better. You're yeah. so vain. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. Nobody yeah. does it better. Uh, James Bond, obviously. How did I not pull that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been Coming around that. again. That That's one of my favorite ones to play at work. Uh, I have three Bond themes on my phone, which is Nobody Does It Better, All Time High, and uh, the Sheena Easton one. Um yeah. I'm not yep. a professional singer. Uh, and nothing gives me more joy than somebody walking into the room with those playing randomly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it makes me I mean, so happy. I want to be the spy who loves me. Come on, everyone wants to be the... Like heaven above me, the spy who loved me. Baby, Dennis, you're the best. <laughs> Burt Bacharach, Kansas City's own. Thank you, Burt. Mm-hmm. He also, didn't he do uh, Alfie? Did he do Alfie? I don't know. Eh. Burt What's Bacharach. Alfie? Uh, it was a movie uh, with uh, Michael Caine back in the day. Um, and then, he wrote of course, Raindrops. Raindrops? Yeah, really? Keep falling on my head. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he did. Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by uh, um, B.J. Thomas for the uh, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid in Good. 1969. Good for him. And, of course, the uh, one that probably everybody knows him is the uh, Austin Powers theme song. And that's it. (laughs) No, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Okay, so I, I, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of VH1's I Love the 80s. There are many series that they did on I Love the 80s. Strike Back and all of the above. 3D and and 70s, etc. So they never talked about a pup named Scooby-Doo on I Love the 80s. Mm Mm-hmm. But if they did, what pop, what 80s pop songs should they use to underscore uh, the segment when they talk about a pup named Scooby-Doo? If they ever do I Love the 80s Forever. Uh, let's see. I'm going, uh, I'm going New Wave. Uh, maybe some AHA. <laughs> Take on me. Or are we going to do Sun Always Shines on TV? Yeah, there we go. Sun Always Shines on TV. That's what Which I'm going again, for. People think they're a one-hit wonder, and it's like, no, they had another hit song. Go figure. And, to pull it all together, a James Bond theme song. Yeah. They did Which Living was Daylights. not a hit song. No, it wasn't at all. No. Uh, yeah, I think uh, New Wave. So, I mean, maybe it's like some Duran Duran as well. Um, 
I think it would be fun. You got to put Kids in America by Kim Wilde under there. Oh, that's a good one. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm having a hard time pulling other songs. By the way, for those who don't know I Love the 80s, we're talking about a show where a bunch of talking heads sit in a room and talk about stuff. And then VH1 underscores what they talk about with footage from the various things as well as music. Featuring Andy Dick, Michael Ian Black, Weird Al Yenchevik. Andy Dick never did it. Really? No, he never did any of the I Love. He may have done some other talking head show, but he never did any of the I Love the ones. I'm, uh, uh, I'm, it's a personal Mandela effect. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was watching something the other day where it was like the same kind of like construction paper background talking heads thing. And they were talking about, uh, Hollywood squares and specifically Paul Lind. Always makes me laugh. You know, it's, you know, and again, I think I've, again, this is my theory about, uh, the talking head genre, which 99.99% of America hates with a passion. Again, it's a guilty pleasure show. Yeah. Uh, but like, I think the only one that ever did it right was I Love the 80s and I Love the 90s and the various I Love the series. And the only reason they ever got it right was because they actually score it with actual music and they use actual footage. Whereas if you watch all the other shows. Best week ever and such. Yeah. If you watch all those other ones, they don't score it with uh, actual music. And they, they tend to only do the, the stupid thing where they use like still photos because mm. they can't clear footage. Right. Like a, like a, a Ken Burns style moving photo. Yeah, I hate I hate that. It's like anytime I see that, I don't think that I always think, ah, you couldn't clear the rights to any footage, could you? Right. <laughs> or music. Mm-hmm. Oh. What was the what was the one I was watching? There was one I was watching. Um, I'm going to get up. And I'm about to insult someone who um, don't use this in the final cut. Do you remember the, the do you remember the uh, you can do you remember the um, the the toys documentary that Netflix did? Yes. The, Boys that made us, I think is what it was called. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the the other pilot he did for like it was called Discontinued? No. Oh, it's it's one of the worst. Again, I feel so bad because he seems like such a nice guy, but it's one of the worst pilots I've ever seen. I'm like, was he on no, Saturday I don't... Morning Rewind? Yes, and he talks about it yeah. on Saturday on an episode of Saturday Morning Rewind, and they're like, yeah, I really hope this gets picked up. And I felt so horrible watching because I'm like, I really hope this doesn't get picked up because it sucks. <laughs> I think one of my favorite fail pilots of all time, aside from Heat, Fish, and Jack, of course, is um, Kyle Kinane had one for Comedy Central called Kyle Kinane's Going Nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was a travel show, but with Kyle Kinane just put into uncomfortable situations, and the way that that dude handled it, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. My friend uh, showed me, like, because he was doing, he was writing a book about failed television, pilots mm-hmm. and so he, he showed me a bunch of these failed television pilots like so to help him out with the book so i watched some of them wrote them and, like it's amazing some of the ones that just are like oh my god someone wanted this to be a series yeah uh did uh, and there was um but there's this one and i can't it was called uh i think it was called some guys i think it was called some guys and it was like a friend's ripoff huh it was like a but here's but here's the crazy thing i'm watching this thing and this cop character comes on and i'm like holy shit it's John DiMaggio. <laughs> All right. Uh, you, you, but doing the Futurama, you guys need to. 
It's like, what the hell? Oh, man, that's It's one of those questions where what happens if this gets picked up and becomes a big thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I hate playing the what if game as much as anybody, but I feel like, what, what was this? Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. I get that. Uh, so, Josh, this has been unbelievably phenomenal. Well, thank you. Uh, tell the people uh, what better. you have out there if, uh, if you want them to find anything. Go to the JM archives and listen to my uh, historical interviews. Uh, I like to think that I'm like the archive of American television, but a crappier version. But uh, I try to do I do long form interviews with uh, independent film and television producers. Uh, so right now I have a, about six. I'm uh, five up there right now. I'm waiting for approval on one. I'm hoping to do another interview tomorrow. And uh, I was supposed to do one yesterday. And again, the problem with these things is you're always I was worried. Like, I don't like talking about who. I have in the ether because there's always the chance they may uh, like say no. It's like not like they've already this person has already agreed, but there's always the yeah, chance you never that, want to jinx it. Yeah. And so I, I <laughs> you know, you feel bad. I'm like, I don't want to say who it is. So I like I am. I'm doing these. I'm hoping to get another big interview up soon. Uh, wish me luck, America. <laughs> so JM archives. Uh, someone did this recently. If you really want to hear young like me, like when I was first starting out as a podcaster, you can, someone uploaded all the Misty cast episodes that we ended up producing and, and putting out there. Someone put all of them up on YouTube. Excellent. Like I didn't put them up. None of my people put them up. Like I don't make, I don't care cause I don't make any money off of it anyway. Sure. So like if someone wants to go listen to those, they're on YouTube. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, well, once again, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. And as always, to you and yours this holiday season, Crispy is better than Misty. Yes. (laughs) What's With You Scooby-Doo is a member of the Stolen Dress Podcast Network. Visit StolenDress.com to check out our other Stolen Dress podcasts, blogs, tweets, videos, and books.